0: Hey, I'm Michael Woodley, pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word.
1: Last Sunday, We looked at how we approach marriage as a gospel decision. And uh, we had two points. Remaining unmarried can be a gospel decision and remaining married should be a gospel decision. And the idea that we kind of left things with last week and that Paul wrote and tried to help these Corinthians understand is whatever state you are in, be be in that state. He encouraged them to remain in that state. For the ones that were single, he was encouraging them to remain single. For the ones that were married, obviously to, to, to remain married. But the reason that he was encouraging those ones to remain single was because of a situation that was happening or a combination of situations that were going on there. It was not a be all end all command for all time because he obviously commanded us to, to, to go forth and multiply. And so, so understand that there's a particular context and a situation that was going on in Corinth that Paul had to address. So, um, Today, we're going to see Paul's answer to another question. Chapter 7 begins a series of answers that Paul is giving to, they, on, to a letter... That the Corinthians had written to him and they had questions in these letters. And so he's just kind of, we don't have the letters. We don't know the specific questions. We just have to infer the category that the questions were in based on the answers that he gives here. So that all, hopefully that helps you understand a little bit because there's some language in here that's a little bit unusual in some ways that he starts some sentences off that, unless you know the big picture, it just really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so today uh, we're going to see Paul's answer to another question. Uh, keep in mind that. He's writing to this specific context. They're in Corinth. Some of what he writes is not a mandate to all people at all time, but there are biblical principles that we find in here that do apply to all people at all times. So as we stand to read God's word together, I want to invite you to do that. Know that as we read through this rather lengthy passage, starting in verse 25, that there are going to be some words and phrases that seem to be a little bit odd to us, but we're going to come back and unpack them and help us understand what they were intended to be then. And so what they, are, what they mean for us here today. Beginning in verse 25, 1 Corinthians chapter seven. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. Because of the present distress, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned, but such people will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters, the time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they didn't own anything. And those who use the world as though they did not Make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. If any man thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, if she is getting beyond the usual age for marriage and he feels he should marry, he can do what he wants. He is not sinning. They can get married. But he who stands firm in his heart, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will and has decided in his heart to keeper as a fiance will do well. So then he who marries his fiance does well, but he who does not marry will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion. And I think that I also have the spirit of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that it is a gift to us. Lord, it is, it is a guide for us. It is, it, you give us, you reveal yourself to us in it. Lord, you give us commands for life. You give us principles that we can use, Lord, that, that as we follow them and we live out these biblical principles, we become more and more conformed into your image. And Lord, that's our heart and that's our desire. So today, for these parts that may seem a little bit hard to understand, Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit to open up our eyes, our hearts, our ears, our minds to understand your heart, Lord, so that we can live in a way that brings honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Wow. Um, deep breath, a whole lot here. How are we going to get through this in a reasonable amount of time? Great question. Great question. At the end of our message today, I want you to know and be prepared that we're going to experience the Lord's Supper together. And so that is something that's so important to us. And it's a great part of worship. And I want you parents to be prepared for that. Uh, the Lord's Supper is for baptized believers. And so if you have children in here that aren't aren't yet believers, they haven't been baptized yet, you might use that time to help explain to them uh, the big picture of what's going on. But it's going to be a beautiful time for us here together. And, and Paul gave some instructions a couple chapters later about that. So we'll look at that at the end. The first, thing that I want you to to, to see as as we, and just understand overall here, the main idea today is this, that devotion to the Lord should be our primary focus. It's not about singleness, not about marriage, devotion to the Lord should be the primary focus, the overriding umbrella over everything that we see here. So while admittedly some of Paul's writing is unique to this situation that they're going through here, we're going to look at these three biblical principles that still apply to us today. Number one, cultural pressures should not rush our relationship decisions. Cultural pressures should not rush our relationship decisions. Verse 25, first phrase, now about virgins. Now, obviously the question being addressed had to do with those who are not yet married. And so it's certainly written from a male perspective. Obviously Paul is male, but that culture was very male led, male dominated type culture. So understand that's the angle that is coming from here. So this term virgins refers to unmarried females. And in this context, the big picture context, those that are engaged to be married. That's when, when, when we see this word here, that's the person, the unmarried engaged woman, so there was an expectation and a tradition that was regarding uh, marriage and betrothal. There was a, a process, this betrothal process, which the closest thing that we have to it would be what we call being engaged to be married, but not exactly. Betrothal was, was a little more binding. There was a It was a contract involved, so to speak. And it was a preliminary to uh, completing the marriage process, but it was the beginning part of the marriage process. That's why I say that, that we have to understand things in light of the culture that's really not the way that it works right here uh, where we live in the time that we live in there are parts of the world where it looks like this still some but but right here and right now that's not how our marriage traditions operate so typically these women uh, were usually in their mid teenage years and They were assumed to be part of their father's household. Again, that's not prescriptive. That's just how it was then. That was then. This is now. We live in a different time in a different setting. So these these young women still are under the leadership of their father and their father's household. Or if their father wasn't around, a male leader in their home, maybe an uncle, a grandfather, somebody that still cared for them. So there was a measure of supervision and authority that was exercised in their life. And it was a protective guardian that that was there man it was preserving and taking care of her and looking out for her now this father was typically involved in arranging the upcoming marriage so girls imagine this there was a high motivation among these young ladies to be really nice to their daddies but guys there was a high motivation among the guys to be good sons to their daddies and hope he's a good picker now, it wasn't exclusive. You got to have, you, you're marrying this one. That's how it's going to be. There was still a measure of input that they could have there. Some cultures are very restrictive about that. I mean, it, it's not that at all. But here, there, there was a measure of being able to, to kind of have that ability to have the, the, the love factor involved in it. But it was still very much led by, by the father. So, obviously, that was then and there. Thank the Lord. About this situation, notice, about virgins he says, I have no command from the Lord. That just means that Paul was not aware of Jesus ever addressing this issue. There was not a time, there was not any writings, there was nothing that had been passed down in oral tradition where Jesus addressed this specific issue. So that's significant because if Jesus had addressed it, and remember, Paul is answering a question that, that, uh, that they had sent to him. If Jesus had addressed it, the matter would have been settled. There wouldn't have been any wondering or negotiating or mystery about it. It would have been a done deal. Jesus said this, this is what you do. So he didn't have a command from the Lord, but he says, I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. Paul in humility is saying, I'm not giving you a command. I'm giving you an opinion. And, and this is as one who is, who is faithful and he was faithful by the Lord's mercy Paul had a close relationship with the Lord. He loved the Lord. He followed the Lord. He, he was an apostle. and He appeals to this. He does it here. And then we'll see again at the, in the end at a, in verse 40, that same kind of idea. So let me just imagine when you're, when you're looking for advice or you're looking for an opinion, who do you want to receive advice from in general? Think about it. If, if you want advice, you guys that are ballplayers, about hitting a baseball, Who would you rather get your advice from, a Hall of Famer or Uncle Joe in the stands who's watching you and says, well, I just think that you might ought to try this. Go with the Hall of Famer. Paul was kind of a a Hall of Famer, spiritually speaking, if you will. So there was some credibility that he had based on his relationship with the Lord and the revelation he had received from the Lord and the way that he had conducted himself. So here's what I think because verse 26, because of this present distress. Now we're not a hundred percent sure exactly what Paul's referring to about this present distress. There's several things or combination of things. One is the expectation of the second coming of Christ. Every generation of believers has anticipated uh, that, that Christ would return. Scripture is very clear that he will return. And every generation, um, it, while, while we look forward to that, Um, He has not returned yet. There will be one generation where that is fulfilled while they're still here on this side of heaven, and they'll see the Lord return. But at this time, it hadn't happened yet. But there was an expectation. We knew that the scripture says that that he could come like a thief in the night, that at any time. So they had to be prepared and be ready. There's also uh, likely some government persecution that was going on that could have helped to to shape his thinking on this, as well as an area-wide famine in the Mediterranean region. So there was some real critical Issues that were going on that that Paul described as a present distress. It was significant enough that he recommended that they not get married because of this distress that was going on at that particular time. He says, I think that it's good for a man to remain as he is. That repeats back from where Michael referenced last week, verses 17 and verses 24, where, where it says, Hey, stay where you are. If you're single, Hey, stay single. But if you're married, stay married. That's the idea that he's trying to communicate. Verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Now that's the commitment of the betrothal as the first part of the marriage process. It's considered that, that, that this, this man would be bound to this woman. And typically that man was going to be a little bit older than her, maybe up around the age of 30-ish or so. Ooh, I know, but that's just the way that that they did it in that time. That was considered normal in their culture. Okay, so he says if, if you know don't 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 change that. If you're bound, don't seek to be released. Are uh, you already released from a wife? Don't don't seek a wife. But if you do get married, you've not sinned. So it's not a sin issue whether they remain single or they get married. Paul is countering the culture when it comes to the relationship decision of couples who are engaged to be married. Now their culture was totally fixated on the idea that betrothal happens and then ultimately the marriage happens. That's just the way that it works. It may last up to a year. It could be a very short betrothal, much shorter than that. It could be a little bit longer than that, but that's the way that their culture operated. We have things that we consider to be norms in our culture, and there's some general categories and parameters about how these things, things work, but, th- but they're not necessarily hard and fast rules. And so, but there's still some expectations. And you know, uh, we like to have our expectations met, we, we like for things to go the way that we like them to go. So here's a couple of practical thoughts that, that apply then and now. First of all, don't pressure other people to get married. Now, I know none of y'all would do that. But anybody in this room, and by the way, that's one thing that all people have in common. I've just been thinking about this. I don't know that the Lord revealed this to me. I think this is just common sense. One thing in the room that, that we all have in common is that, Everybody in here at one time in their life was single. Did y'all receive that as an incredible revelation right there? That's one thing we can all say. Some of us, we've been married way longer than we were single. Okay? We, we kind of cover the gamut of things in here. Most of us, maybe most of us, would say that maybe at some point in your life, you may have felt a little bit of pressure about that about getting married and so we shouldn't pressure other people to get married the other thing is that we shouldn't feel pressure to get married it's not their business don't name names that's just not how it works the idea that I want to put out here in front of you on this and we got to move on is this putting your yes on the table regarding your marital situation just like your service to the Lord here's a suggestion for a prayer. Lord, if it's your will, I would love to be married to the person that you have for me. My answer is yes. Please give me wisdom and discernment on who that person is. I commit to live out a marriage that's fully devoted to you for your glory. Lord, if it's not your will for me to be married, I accept that as your best plan for me, and I commit to live my life fully devoted to you for your glory. Whether you're single or married, and that's what we talked about the last few weeks, either way, the high priority is bringing glory to God. Living for him in the state that you are in, it's about him, not about the situation. That's the idea. No matter what, don't lower your standards. Don't lower them. Marrying nobody is far better than marrying the wrong somebody. And this is where your friend and associate pastor here, Mark, may be giving a little bit of opinion, but I've done a lot of weddings I've counseled a lot of couples heading into marriage or kicking the tires on whether they were going to do that right there. And I'm just telling you, being single is way better than marrying the wrong somebody. Again, Paul's not saying don't marry, but just if you do be aware of everything, uh, not just the current emotional high. So the current moments of your life might be so difficult, there might be a challenge involved in that, that it would be wise for you to hold up and wait. So considering the circumstances is good for us today, just like it was good for them back then, that's what Paul encouraged them to do. I want you to hear this. Your mission to get married can't override your commitment to the mission of God. I'll say that again. Your mission to get married can't override your, commission, your commitment to the mission of God. And then your marriage, for those that are married, should complement the mission of God. It should be something together that you do that brings glory to God. If your aim's less than this, and you're gonna miss out on God's tremendous blessing that he wants to have for your life, don't settle for less than God's best. So down in verse 29, Paul clarifies what he's saying. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters, the time's limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Now, remember, Paul expected the soon return of the Lord. Every generation of believers has, but, but this sounds really controversial here, doesn't it? That those who have wives should be as though they had none. What in the world? I mean, I thought that Paul had a high view of marriage. How could he say something like this that married people could act like or should act like that they weren't married because of this situation? That just doesn't sound right. Well, you need to understand there's some things about that particular context that that are a little bit different than what we understand today. And it might be comparable to this in Luke 14. Great crowds are, are traveling with Jesus and he says to them, these are the ones that are going to follow him. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now we know that the Lord does not want us to hate anybody, certainly not our own family. But the idea that uh, of perspective is in comparison to the love that we have for, for God and for his plan for our life. Our deep great love for the people that we love the most, our families, should almost be like hatred in comparison. You understand it's a it's a word device, it's a comparison thing to help us understand the differentness of it. Well, this situation here, how in the world does it make sense that a man uh, who had a wife would live as though he doesn't have one? Here's the best shot that I've got at illustrating this to make it make sense. My relationship, my wife, Ann, right over here, is my most significant earthly relationship. She is my highest priority on this earth. There's not a close second. We have a son that we love very much but my love for his mama is number one. My love and commitment to him is second. And I don't even know how much the distance is between them, but mama's number one. That's the way that God made it and he designed it, right? Now, let's just imagine this scenario. Ann wants to have a discussion with me about something. Let's just say uh, the color to paint our living room. I offer that because that discussion really happened last week y'all know me it doesn't matter <laughs> except that she's happy i want her so if she wants to engage in that conversation about the color of the living room we're we're going to have that conversation the problem is all of a sudden i hear this loud commotion outside across the street behind my neighbor's house come to find out there is a child out in the lake and that child cannot stay afloat. There is a problem going on and folks are hollering for help. They need help in that situation. This is my number one priority right here. But in that moment, in that situation, that scenario, our discussion on the color of the living room, no matter how important it is to her, does not even come close to matching the emergency situation that is going on out here that we've got to deal with right away because it's life and death. You understand what I'm saying? Paul gives us this construct in the situation there that's a little mysterious, but there is a distress going on that is so great that the focus needs to be on that. You're married? Hey, Give some attention to a heavy, weighty spiritual matter. That's what he's trying to, to use his strong imagery to make this point. There's a time-sensitive situation happening. He wanted God's people to be focused on meeting the need. Second thing that we see is that our primary concern should be devotion to the Lord. That's verses 32 30 through 38 that, that kind of break that down. First thing he says, 32, I want you to be without concerns. Paul, man, has a great heart for these people. He loves them. He cares about them. He wants them to be without concerns. Think about this. What's the greatest commandment? When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. There should be nothing that's in close competition to our devotion to the Lord or the lives that he's called us to live. And so, all of these, these things here, he, Paul, in, in verse 30, he'd said, hey, even those that weep as though they didn't weep, those who rejoice as though they didn't rejoice, those who buy, all these normal things of life, man, hey, put those to the side. We've got to deal with this situation right here. There is an issue that must be dealt with and must be taken care of. And it's painting this, this real picture here for us of what needs to happen. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord. In other words, when you are single, these men in this situation, they had the ability, the freedom to focus on what the Lord said was of high importance. Whatever it meant in this situation, they could focus on that. But the married man's concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. So so the, the draw would be against being totally devoted to that situation to Lord says this is of of high importance and to focus on the wife. So there's a distraction type idea that's going on here. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. You see, there's got to be this idea that number one priority in relationship is the Lord and his glory and his plan. So he's saying, I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what's proper so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. The idea is this y'all, this situation that they're in is so dire. It is a a such a, a present distress is what he's called it. I don't want you to be distracted by anything else. This is my opinion. I love you. I care about you. I walk closely with the Lord. And so there's a responsibility that I have, and I would just caution you and, and encourage you to make sure that you are able to do everything that the Lord wants you to be able to do. Matthew 6, 33, Jesus said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Luke 14 there's a beautiful passage in there starting in verse 28 says, for which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. We ought to count the cost in life of whatever it is we're doing. And we also put that cost up against what it means to be fully devoted to the Lord. That's the idea that we have to, that we have to live out that, that, focusing on him on being fully devoted to him that has to be the ultimate priority so the third thing that we see here third biblical principle is our freedom is found only in the lord look at well tell you what let me i don't want to i don't want to burn through this too fast right here verse 36 Uh, this is an interesting phrase right here. It says, if any man thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin that he is engaged to, if she is getting beyond the usual age for marriage and he feels he should marry, he can do what he wants. He's not sinning, they can get married. Now, some of you mamas out there, this would be close to your heart right here. When's that boy ever gonna marry my girl? How long are they gonna stay engaged? How long can this keep going on? When is he going to quit being a lollygagger and do what he needs to do? That, that's that's kind, of, kind of a little bit of this idea right here. He, is he stringing her along dra- dragging his feet? Well, hey, no. It says if, if, if he thinks he's acting improperly. In, o- in other words, if that girl's heart is in such a way in a state that she is feeling devalued, if she's feeling abandoned some kind of way, She's getting beyond the usual age for marriage. He says he can do what he wants. He's not sin. they can get married. But if he stands firm in his heart and he's deciding his heart to keep her as a fiance, that he'll do well. Paul is still saying, stay light on your feet, stay single. But he who does not married will do better. A wife, all right, then, then we'll go to verse 39. Understand this, man, we're we called to treat people right. We are certainly um, called to make sure that those that we love that there is a, especially those that, that there is an expectation of marriage with, that we treat them as treasures that, the God has, that God has blessed us with. And that in every way that we regard them, we make sure that we're building strength into their life. And they feel safe and secure. Man, that is a responsibility that we have. We we are to be spiritual leaders in our homes and in these relationships, and they ought to point towards God. So make sure that you're guarding her heart and you're being an encouragement and a blessing to her and not a drain in her life. That's an overriding idea and thought that we see right here. So then the third thing, third biblical principle we get is that our freedom is found only in the Lord. It says a wife is bound as long as her husband is living. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to anyone she wants only in the Lord. But she is happier. She remains as she is in my opinion. And I think that I also have the spirit of God. So these that are widows, Paul's encouragement is, Hey, stay, stay free of a marital relationship, man. Be able to move and and do what, do do what you need to be able to do for for the Lord. But, but this widow is free to marry. She can do what she wants to anyone. She wants But the condition is in the Lord. That that person has to be a believer. That person has to match up with her on spiritual commitment. That's what needs to to happen. We we don't have the freedom just to marry anybody. 2 Corinthians, his next letter in chapter 6, he says, Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? No matter the context, we should always seek God's will and making a decision. Some of you in there are in that category of, of, of being a widow, and um, you have prayed about what you should do. Some of you have strong convictions that you need to stay single, that like my grandmother, man, she, she was widowed in her early 50s. Man, my granddaddy died early, unexpectedly, and we kind of, we would kind of pick on grandma over the years every now and then, hey, man, don't you think you ought to try going out with so-and-so or this or whatever, and let me just tell you, she shut that down quick. She was not the least bit interested or open to it. The Lord gave me the man that I, you know, needed to have and I wanted to have. And that was good enough for me. And I'm happy now. And listen, it blessed her grandchildren because, man, we got to do stuff with, with her. She was got, got to take good care of us and do all things. Man, her church, she was able to be highly involved in different things there. But she had the freedom to marry in the Lord had she been led in that direction. Some of you have been in that situation and the Lord has provided for you someone perfect and and for the next phase of your life. And man, we celebrate that, but it needs to be in the Lord. That's the idea and that's the issue. Are you bringing glory to the Lord? The issue is priority. I hope you see that over this whole passage, the real focus, the real issue is the priorities that we're going to live out. How are we going to honor God in every way? How are we going to make sure that his name is famous? How are we going to point people to him? How are we going to be able to serve him? If we're single, then we we serve him in our singleness. If we are married, we serve him in our marriage. If the Lord leads you to the right person, the right person, the right person, his person, only his person to be married to, then he puts you together, then you have a beautiful, thriving relationship in Jesus. If he does not provide that for you, then you be satisfied in your singleness and live all out for the glory of God. Either way, it's about being devoted to him. Let me wrap up. Devotion to the Lord should be our primary focus. So I want you to consider this. First of all, An honest evaluation of your priorities, including your relationships. What's your great priority? As a believer in Jesus, is what he says most important to you in your life? Do you weight what you prefer as more important than his priorities? We've got to be very careful about that, very open and honest about that. Do I want what I want more than I want what he wants? But we're very good. At at, at aiming for our own comfort, our own convenience, our own needs or desires being met. We we are naturally wired up for that. But God says a better way is, hey, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These things will be added unto you. That's not a promise that you're going to have a spouse. He's not going to provide that. He promises to meet the needs of your life second thing I'd ask you is, does the most important person in your life share your commitment to the Lord as number one priority? If it's the person you're dating or the person you're engaged to, or even your spouse together, do you share a commitment to the Lord as your number one priority? You need to date people, young people that share your values and share your priority in serving and honoring the Lord. I can't tell you the number of tragedies I've watched and observed up close and personal with young people that got in too big a hurry and they settled for less than God's very best and they wind up having some real pain that happened because of that. Don't do that. You wait. Make sure that person shares your priority. If you're married, I want to encourage you that you establish your marriage relationship in such a way that you are united in this, that the number one thing about your marriage is that You're living it for his glory, his way, and expecting and receiving his blessings. That's what I want to encourage you today. That's verses 25 through 40. That's a whole lot of stuff right there. But I hope that you hear loud and clear that when you devote yourself to the Lord over anything, he has a plan for your life. He will wrap you up. He will guard you. He will protect you. He will provide for you. Make sure you stay under his covering. And whether you're called to singleness or you're called to marriage, that it's for his glory. Would you bow with me, please? In this moment, I just want you to consider, first of all, this. Have you come to a point in your life where you have said yes to Jesus and received his forgiveness for your sins? That's the most important thing because you can't understand the blessings and the teachings and the truth and that, that he has for you, the promises of Scripture outside of his will and outside of a relationship with him. Scripture says that as many as received him to those he gave the right to become children of God, you can become a child of God by receiving Jesus, believing in who he is, committing to live life his way, following after him. And you can do it in the quietness of this moment right now to take that first step I would just invite you to do that. If you don't know Jesus the way I've been describing right here, say, God, I know you love me. You gave Jesus, sent him to pay the price for my sin. And I receive his forgiveness for my sin. And from this point on, I want to live life your way, Lord. I want to follow Jesus. And so I don't know everything that means, but I'm ready. Help me take over my life. Be the leader of my life. I want this with all my heart. And know that if you pray that sincerely, then we are here to help you. And at the end of our service today, we wanna, we wanna point you to some folks that can give you some encouragement. Right now, as we continue to be in a state of prayer, if you are a single person, would you say that to the Lord? Just put that yes on the table. Lord, whatever you want from me, the answer is yes. If you want me to remain single, I'm fine. If you want me to be married, to best bring honor and glory to your name through a marriage relationship, then I am trusting you to provide the right person at the right time and give me wisdom and discernment to recognize that person that you have for me. If you are married right now, would you just recommit your life and your marriage that the two of you and your relationship together, that you would live in such a way that you build one another up in such a way that you bring honor and glory to the Lord and you commit your life together for the kingdom's sake and for his purpose. Father, thank you for what you called us to do and to be. Lord, may we be faithful and live it out. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope, again, that you were encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.